Good morning. It is truly a joy and a blessing to be here, uh, encouraged by everyone, encouraged by our visitors. Um, what a blessing that God has given us, that, that we can come together to spend time uh, in honoring his name and reading his word together. I do want to invite you to open your Bibles with me as we study. Um, if there is any good that's going to be accomplished uh, from our time together, it's going to come from the power of, of God, from his revelation, from his word. The, the brethren here over the last uh, several months have been thinking a lot about uh, some different ways that we can improve our worship. Um, if you were with us uh, back in, in the fall, we had kind of a song worship seminar with Stephen Rouse, where we focused uh, a lot more uh, on the words of the songs that we're singing, uh, making sure that we're, we're thinking about that, even uh, did a little bit of, of song leader training in that. Uh, and in January, we, we've implemented some technological uh, updates here. We're able to have our, our songs on the screen, trying to expand our repertoire of, of, of songs that we're learning um, so that we can sing new songs to the Lord. Um, but, but with everything that we do, we, we want to first and foremost make sure that our thinking is grounded in the scriptures, uh, in God's revealed will to us about himself, about uh, his desires for us. Uh, and that's the certain, certainly the case with our worship as, as much as anything. So I want us to start, uh, hopefully, a series today uh, about how to truly improve our worship. And, and I don't mean to imply by that that the things that we have done and are doing are, are not improving our worship. I, I think they are, uh, certainly, in many ways. But I think it would be helpful for us to step back, uh, to, to even take a, a bigger picture approach, to think a little more deeply about what exactly it is we're trying to accomplish um, and how that can be most effectively and, and genuinely accomplished. Uh, I'm always a little hesitant to, to announce a, a series because as I continue to study and prepare, it, it may change. Um, but, but right now, my hope is that today we can talk about what we're seeking to get out of worship. Um, hopefully in our next lesson, we'll talk about what we are putting into worship uh, and then eventually talk about what's holding us back in that. Um, so I, I hope that will, will be helpful for us to be thinking about. That, that won't necessarily be sequentially week after week. We'll, we'll, we'll see how long it takes us to, to get through this. But hopefully this can give you a taste of what it is that, that we're trying to, to focus on. And so let's start with the question, what are we seeking to get out of worship? Um, I want to think about that question for a moment. How would you answer it? If I ask you right now, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but to take out a piece of paper and, and write down your answer. What, what would that answer be? Um, how would you determine whether or not the worship that we engage in today is successful or is effective? When you leave the doors today, how will you know whether or not you've truly worshipped? Uh, and I don't just want you to answer that question the way you, you think it's supposed to be answered. Um, Answer it honestly. If, if God's word is going to benefit us today, we need to look into it as a mirror. And so what are you seeking to get out of worship? Um, if, if you have an answer clearly in your mind of what, what, what the answer is, let, let's turn our attention uh, towards the scriptures to see what that answer should be. Um, and I think maybe the, the best place to start um, is simply to define the word worship. What, what is worship? 
Um, the, the Bible actually uses quite a few different words to describe worship. E- even in English, we use many different words, and we'll, we'll touch on some of those. Uh, and so I want to give you some uh, kind of summaries of lexicon definitions. I'm not approaching this as some scholarly or academic paper, so I haven't included exact quotes or, or um, uh, anything like that. But th- these are just some summaries of some different definitions of, of Hebrew and Greek words that are used in the Bible. Um, to, to give credit, I, I'm using Strong's, Brown's Driver, Briggs, and Jacinius for Hebrew and Thayer's for Greek. Um, but the word worship, uh, there's two primary words in the Bible, and we could look at some others as well. But the primary word in Hebrew is shaha. Uh, it literally means to prostrate in homage to bow oneself down, crouch, fall down flat, humbly beseech, do reverence, make to stoop. Uh, In the New Testament, the Greek word proskuneo uh, literally comes from two words, to kiss towards, pros being towards, kuneo, to kiss. And so we get that idea with to kiss the hand in token of reverence. Uh, Strong's actually mentions the idea here of, of a dog licking his master's hand. Um, you know, to recognize this position of, of lowliness before um, the one that is our, our master, our authority. Uh, to fall down upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. Uh, literally or figuratively, to prostrate oneself in homage. Uh, but there's some other words that uh, are, are similar to, to the word worship. Uh, the English word praise um, Normally in the Hebrew, it comes from the word halal. Uh, the, the original or root meaning of this is to be clear, whether of sound or of color. So kind of this idea of to shine. Hence, to make a, a show or to boast, to celebrate, commend, or praise. In the Greek, uh, perhaps the main word, epen, uh, epenos, uh, a laudation, a commendable thing. Uh, it comes from a root that really means story or to tell a story. So kind of this idea of recounting some commendable deed, giving honor through speaking of the greatness of one's accomplishments. Um, another Greek word sometimes translated praise, maybe more often translated bless, is the word eulogeo, uh, uh, to speak well of, to bless, thank, or invoke a benediction upon, to praise. Uh, you might notice our word eulogy comes from that word bless, eulogeo. Um, so kind of this idea of commemorate all the good about uh, someone. Um, we even have some more words, glorify, magnify, Hebrew kabed, to be heavy, make weighty, boast, to promote, honor, or glorify, gadal, to grow, make great or important, increase, to lift up and promote, um, the, the Greek word doxazo, to render or esteem glorious, honor, magnify. Greek word megaluno, to make, declare great, increase, extol, enlarge, magnify. These are only a few of the words that the Bible uses. Um, and so we, we have quite an extensive vocabulary, you can see, first of all, when it comes to this idea of worship. But, but I want you to, to think about what, what is the main core idea that connects all these things together. Uh, What's the common focus you see in all of these words? 
I think the core idea behind these, these words of worship, uh, first of all, uh, is to make ourselves low. You saw that very clearly in the first few words we looked at. To, to make ourselves insignificant or, or to maybe more properly recognize how insignificant we are in comparison with the greatness of God. And in the same way, we, we are making him the focus. We are are magnifying or declaring his greatness, making it clear, commemorating and proclaiming the goodness and the greatness of God, celebrating and rejoicing in it. But, But I want you to see from all of this that by its very definition, worship is not about us. It's about him. And if there's, if there's nothing else that we take from, from this lesson, let, let it be that. Worship is not about us. It's about him. And so that's going to lead us into our, our next question. What is the difference between successful and unsuccessful worship? Well, we don't have to go very far in our Bibles before we see the concept of, of unsuccessful worship. In fact, the very first times, if, if you decided, you know what, I, I want to read through the Bible and I'm going to look for lessons about worship. I'm going I'm to try to figure out what, what is the Bible teaching me about worship. If you started in Genesis, the very, perhaps the very first thing, uh, or at least clear act of worship that you would come to is in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, uh, and, and I want us to read here verse 1 through 5. It says in verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So very early on in scripture, we see the idea of successful and unsuccessful worship. Um, how do we know that Abel's worship was successful and Cain's was not? And I'm not even asking here why was one successful and why was the other one not. Uh, I, I think there are some, some clues why God accepted one and not the other. But, but we're going even more basic than that. Why was one successful and one was a failure? Because of God's response, right? Um, his regard for the offering, his favor towards the offering. The very first lesson we learn about worship is we don't get to determine what is and what is not good worship. God does, because worship isn't about us. Worship is about him. And so if you continue through your Bibles, we're going to get to the passage that that Christopher read for us, Genesis chapter 8. This is perhaps the the second clear expression of worship. I think at the end of chapter 4, it talks about how people began to call on the name of the Lord. But here's the the second clear act of worship in the Bible, Genesis 8, verse 20 and 21. Let's read that again. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, 
I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Do you notice there at the beginning of verse 21? What made Noah's worship successful? It says in verse 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, You know that phrase, uh, a pleasing aroma or a sweet-smelling aroma? This is the first time we find it, but it's used over 30 times in the first five books of our Bible. When it talks about giving worship, giving sacrifice to the Lord, what's that all about? Why does it tell us it was a sweet-smelling aroma to us? Is it that God has a physical nose and a physical sense of smell, and he just really likes the smell of roasted meat? Is that? Well, obviously that can't be the case, or else God would have told them to to cook bacon, right? So uh, it's it's not some physical thing that we're talking about. Then, Then why does God say that? What's the point that God's getting across here? It was a sweet-smelling aroma. It was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It teaches us that it's not about what we find pleasing to our senses. It's about what God finds pleasing. What brings joy to his heart. And so at a very basic level, improving our worship is not primarily about what we get out of worship. Now, we're, we're, we're going to talk. We should be getting a whole lot out of worship, right? If our hearts are where they need to be, there's no question about that. But, but successful worship, improving our worship, is not first and foremost, is not primarily about what we get out of worship. It's about what God is seeking from us in worship. Let, let me use an illustration here. Think about this in terms of expressing love and devotion to your spouse. What, what is the measure of whether or not you are successful in doing that? The measure of whether or not you have successfully expressed love and devotion. Uh, what determines whether a gift or a date night was a success? Is it how you feel about it? You know, maybe sometimes that is the way that we think about it. Uh, but if that's our standard, how might that influence your approach to the relationship? Uh, imagine for a moment that... Uh, you, you think, well, you know, my, my relationship with my wife is, is just really kind of lost its spark. I, I just don't feel the same emotions that I used to feel. Um, and, and I'm not sure what to do about it. What, what if I came in and gave you some advice and I said, well, well, what, what do you get really passionate about? You know, what, what really get, gets you going? You say, well, I, I, I really get passionate and excited at monster truck rallies, you know, and, or, or at WWE, you know, like that, that really gets me going, gets my blood pumping, that gets me excited. I said, okay, I'll tell you what you do. Take your wife to the monster truck rally. That's what you need. If you want to get the spark, the passion back in your relationship, that's going to do it. Would that be good advice? No, why not? Because it's focused on how you feel about it, right? It's focused on what you're seeking, what, whether or not you feel passionately about it. Let, let, let's get to even maybe a worse example here. What, what if you said, I'm, I'm just not attracted to my wife the way that I used to be. You know, I, I, I just don't uh, feel, feel the same uh, towards her. Um, what, what if I said, well, you know, you, you're, you're pretty attracted to those fashion models in the magazine. I tell you what you do. You need to go encourage your wife to get on a diet plan. 
and you know, get, get her exercising and get her some really nice clothes like those fashion models are wearing and, and dress her up with that, that's gonna get the attraction back. I hope you can see how completely foolish and, and counterproductive that is. That, that's not what it's about, right? That's not gonna improve the relationship. That's not gonna help you better express love and devotion to your wife. It's gonna do the exact opposite, in fact. It's not about you. It's not about how you feel about it, right? You, you want to improve your relationship with your wife? You make it about her and not about yourself. You seek to please her. You seek to express love to her in ways that she would appreciate. You think about the things that you value and are grateful for in her, and you take the time to communicate it and express it. That's where the focus needs to be not on how you feel about it. Do we want to improve our worship? Do we want to better express love and devotion to the Lord? We need to stop measuring worship by how it affects us. That's not the primary measure. And we need to start focusing our hearts fully on what it is God desires from us. Now, now we're going to see that God desires for some things to be happening in our hearts, right? So, so it is going to uh, apply um, to, uh, you know, what, what's going on in our hearts during worship. That, that is going to be important. But first and foremost, successful worship is measured by what God is seeking from us. So the main question I want us to ask uh, today is what is God seeking from our worship? Um, and, and we're mainly going to look through some Old Testament passages, really some examples of God rebuking displeasing worship throughout the law and the prophets. Um, and, and I want us to start this by carrying forward that idea that we saw from Genesis 8 of the sweet smelling aroma. Um, because as we get into Exodus, uh, God continues that idea in telling the Israelites to build an altar of incense. Um, and they were to continually burn incense on that altar to the Lord. We, we read about that a little bit. And, and I'll go ahead and reveal the point that we're making here. Worship expressed through diligent obedience. Um, we, we read about this altar of incense in Exodus 30. Um, it says in Exodus 30 and verse 9, you shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering. You shall not pour a drink offering on it. So God tells them, I have a specific purpose for this altar of incense. And you're not to offer any unauthorized incense, anything other than what I've told you. Later on in Exodus 30 and verses 34 and 38 through 38, he tells them the exact mixture of, of incense that they were to make. Uh, an equal mixture of stacti, anica, galbanum, and frankincense. And this mixture was specifically supposed to be for the altar of incense. They were not allowed to make it and use it in any other context. They weren't allowed to make it in their homes. And they weren't allowed to take any incense that they might be using, any mixture of, of fragrances from their own homes and bring them into the temple. This was to be special for the Lord, set apart for him. Well, now look in Leviticus chapter 10 with me. Leviticus chapter 10. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu 
the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Where was the focus supposed to be, by the way? Him being sanctified, him being glorified. And God had told them, this is what I want you to offer me. This is what is a sweet smelling aroma to me. This is my love language. You want to express worship to me. This is how you show it. And they had to have an Abihu come along and they say, well, that's nice. But, you know, we, we have this other incense and we, we think it's probably just as good, maybe better. You know, we'll, we'll go ahead and offer that instead. We, we don't know what's going on in Nadab and Abihu's heart. Are, are they just being negligent and lazy, not taking the time to make sure that they're following what, what God said? Um, or, you know, is this a matter of personal preference? Do they have some other incense that they've come up with? They want to kind of spice things up uh, in, in their, their worship to the Lord. And so they bring this other incense in. It really doesn't matter where that came from, Right doesn't matter what the motive was. It wasn't a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. It wasn't about him. It wasn't following what he said he desired in worship. It didn't respect his word and therefore it could not express honor and reverence to him. We, we see the concept in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 were warned, guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. Draw near to listen to draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Okay, what's step one when it comes to worship? If we want to offer a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord, if we want to offer a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, what's step one? Listen, right? If we want to speak God's love language, we need to find out what it is. We need to be listening to him. Think about our illustration with with our spouse. Um, Do do you want to effectively express love to your wife? You need to get to know her love language, right? You need to listen. You need to study her and get to know her deeply. Uh, What does she like? What does she dislike? What does she value? What does she appreciate? What's meaningful to her? By the way, the, the farther I get into the spouse illustration, the more that I feel like I need to apologize to my wife. Um, so I'll just go ahead and put out there right now. Uh, this is difficult. Uh, this is something that we need to work on, but certainly first and foremost, how much do we need to learn God's love language? If worship is not about us, if it's about God, then we need to start listening to what it is he's looking for. And the only way to truly improve our worship is to make it more what he wants it to be, right? We didn't get to this passage in our study of Saul this morning in Bible class, but in 1 Samuel 15, you you may remember God tells Saul, I want you to go out and utterly wipe out the Amalekites. Um, And so Saul goes out and he utterly wipes out most of them. Um, And he brings back, one of the main things that he brings back is a lot of the the, the cattle, the the, the sheep. And when Samuel comes up to him, Saul says, I've, I've kept the word of the Lord. I've, I've utterly wiped out the Amalekites. And Samuel says, wait a second. You know, what, why do I hear the sheep? Um, 
you haven't followed the word of the Lord. And, and Saul says, well, okay, okay. Uh, we, we did spare the sheep. We did spare some of the livestock. But it's because we were going to offer sacrifice to the Lord. Do you remember what Samuel says in response? 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. It doesn't matter how many animals you brought back. If you're not obeying the voice of the Lord, it's not going to be pleasing to him. It's not just about the sacrifice. It's not just about what you put on the altar. Have you given God what, what he told you he wanted? Can, can you imagine a husband who bought all kinds of lavish gifts for his wife, but never spent any time talking to her? actually communicating with her and getting to know what was going on inside her heart and life and what was important to her. Is that us? Are are we bringing offering after offering to the Lord, trying to make them bigger and better without stopping to get to know the heart of God and discover what it is that he wants? Are we offering the sacrifice of fools? Step one, if we want to give pleasing worship to the Lord. If we want to give successful worship, we need to listen to the Lord. To express worship through diligent obedience. Step two, um, we need to offer worship that is the outgrowth of godly living. To Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah chapter one. And let's read together, starting in verse 12. This is God's assessment of the worship that the Israelites were offering to him at this time. Starting in verse 12 of Isaiah 1, it says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Can can you imagine God saying that about our worship here today? God's not just saying, well, your, your worship, it, it kind of needs a little bit of work. You know, I think maybe you guys could improve it a little bit more. Now God's saying, I hated it. it it's abhorrent to me. I, I don't want to have to endure it any longer. Can you please stop? Don't trample over my courts anymore. Why? Why is God so adamantly against what it is they're offering? Do you notice what he said at the end of verse 13? He says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. The last thing that we read in verse 15, he says, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. What was the problem? They weren't living lives in honor of the Lord day by day. The problem wasn't with the motions that they were going through, the sacrifices that they were bringing. It was that on a day-to-day basis, they weren't honoring the Lord. So how do they improve their worship? Look in verse 16 and 17. It says, wash yourselves. 
Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. How do they need to improve their worship? Brethren, some of the most important ways that we can improve our worship aren't going to happen within these four walls. It's not going to be visible to our visitors or or to people online. Some of the most important ways that we can improve our worship are in expressing love and devotion to the Lord day in and day out and the ways that we live our lives, the way that we interact with other people around us. You you think again about our our illustration of expressing love and devotion to your wife um, or or your spouse. Do, Do you know how to make a really great date night? Um, it's, it's, it's not about the restaurant that you pick, uh, or the clothes that you wear or the music that's playing or how much money you spend. You want to make a really great date night next week. I'll tell you what you do. Show love to your wife today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. You know, expressions of love and devotion need to be the outgrowth of a life lived in love and devotion, right? It's not just about creating some perfect magic moment. You know, we're watching all the Hallmark movies and we see exactly how that works. And, you know, we get the snow machine out and we make sure that we're wearing the right clothes and create the right. That's not it. That's not it at all. No, it's about that being an outgrowth of a heart that is devoted and living in love day in and day out. It's about the outgrowth of a relationship. About an expression of love that is genuine because it's lived day by day. Not an expression of love that's more showy or flamboyant. That's not what God is looking for either. What is God seeking from us? Consider Romans 12 and verse 1. Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is God seeking for us on the altar? It's not burnt offerings and peace offerings and sacrifices. God says he wants us. He wants our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, a living sacrifice, not an occasional sacrifice, right? We can't ignore him all week and then expect to come in these doors and offer meaningful worship. Do we want to improve our worship? Go home and start living worship day in and day out with your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, the way that you live from day to day. The altar fires need to burn brightest there. That when we come together to offer direct expressions of worship, it's really the outgrowth of love that we've been expressing all week. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. Um, The Hebrew writer has been talking about the the concepts of, of sacrifice, of worship throughout the Old Testament in much of his letter. 
And as he gets to the very last chapter, Hebrews 13, he talks a little bit about what it is that we're offering to God as a sacrifice. And I want you to notice the two things that are said that we should be offering to God that he's seeking from us. It says in Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, through him, Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do you notice what two things he says? First of all, he says uh, in verse 15, we're continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. Not not occasionally, right? We're we're continually uh, with our lips acknowledging his name. And he doesn't leave it there. He says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. What, what does God want from us in worship? What does God want from us on the altar? He wants our words expressing praise to him continually. But not only that, he wants us to live day in, day out, expressing honor and glory to him and how we treat one another, people, other people. And so do you want to improve our worship? Live worship. Be a living sacrifice. Give your body day in and day out on the altar of praise to the Lord. Then when you come together, that that relationship you've been building and expressing with the Lord, it's going to overflow. It's going to overflow in the expressions of worship uh, that that God has directed us in uh, as as an assembly, a congregation as well. But but let's look at one uh, last point here. God desires worship that expresses the genuine love and devotion of our hearts. Let's go back to Isaiah for a moment. In Isaiah 29, Isaiah 29 in verse 13, Jesus quotes this passage and applies it to the Jews uh, in in the New Testament. Uh, But in Isaiah 29, verse 13, God says of his people, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Uh, When Jesus quotes this in Matthew 15, uh, verse 8 and 9, he he kind of further interprets what what was being said there. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus says this kind of worship is vain. I mean, it's empty, useless. This is failed worship. Why why was it failed worship? Well, Isaiah says that they're honoring God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. Their their fear of him is not something that's coming from their hearts. It says the fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Their expressions of reverence are, are just words on a page. They're just checklist items uh, that they're going through, commandments taught to them by men, not a genuine desire to express love and devotion to the Lord. Is that us? Is our worship genuinely coming from our hearts or is it just coming out of our mouths? I'm afraid sometimes our worship is like us reading someone else's love letters or somebody else's love poetry. Um, we might get into this more in, in our, our next lesson, uh, but, but, but think about that, that concept. Uh, you know, we haven't invested the time and effort to make these sentiments our own. Um, 
And so they're coming out of our lips and we put about as much thought into them as it takes time for the words to get off the screen into our minds and out of our mouths. Um, and it's hard not having invested much, much time and effort in that for us to actually to mean the words that we're, we're saying, right? Um, we're so used to going through the motions, we don't always even think about the meaning of the words we're saying, let alone feel the meaning of the words that we're saying. You know, how much meaning and value do the words I love you have? Well, it, it really entirely depends on how you say them, where they're coming from. Um, maybe to our last point, uh, a history of that relationship and whether or not it's actually being expressed. You know, ha- have you ever done one of these, you know, where uh, it's, it's time for bedtime and uh, love you, good night. You know, you know ho- hopefully you mean it, but it doesn't really necessarily mean a whole lot. What about if we stop and we say, Aaron, I love you. That means a lot more, right? It's not just about the words coming out of our mouths. It's about whether or not they're coming from our hearts. Are we just honoring God with our lips? Maybe the same words, but completely different sentiments because of the heart that it's coming from and whether or not that, that is showing in the way that we're expressing it. T- turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5, verse 18 and 19. Starting in verse 18, We're instructed, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Where should our passion and worship come from? Where should our passion and worship come from? You know, did you ever think that it's kind of weird in this passage that he mentions not getting drunk? Uh, you know, why, why all of a sudden does he tell us, by the way, don't get drunk, and now let's talk about worship? You know, what, what, what's the point there? What's the connection? Well, it, it might help if we remember that pagan worship all around them looked a whole lot different, Right? What, what, what did pagan worship look like in, in their culture around them? You know, the pagans probably didn't have a whole lot of trouble with passionless worship. You think? You know, get, get some musical instruments and dancing, some intoxicating beverages, maybe some cult prostitutes. And, you know, you, you can have quite the party going. Uh, you can get the passions flowing quite freely. Right, that, 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 to a large extent, at least for the Greeks, is the culture of worship around them. But Christian worship wasn't to look anything like that, right? The, the source of their passion should not be being filled with wine. The source of their passion should be fellowship with God's spirit within them. 
an overflow of their relationship with God, right? A making melody or or a plucking of the strings of the heart, you see there in verse 19. What, What is the source of our passion in worship? Is it some external force? Is that, is that where our passion comes from? Something outside of ourselves? Some fleshly thing? Some experience of our five senses? And, and listen, don't misunderstand me. I, I understand music is powerful and God designed it that way, right? Um, God designed it as an effective medium for us to pour out the sentiments of our hearts. And so it should do that. And it has power in doing that. But, but I want us to recognize here from this passage that our passion in worship is not intended to come from some outside force. It's not intended to come from some experience of our five senses. Uh, and so if the music is the source of our passion and not the outlet of our passion, then we've got the cart before the horse. It has to start with our hearts being filled with God. And hopefully our music is an effective medium to to express that to the Lord. He says, be filled with the spirit, addressing one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your Lord. How do do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Being filled with the Spirit. Look back earlier in Ephesians chapter 3. This is a passage that we focused on a few times recently in thinking about the Lord's Supper. Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 19. Paul's prayer for the brethren here. It says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do we fill our hearts with the spirit that is then in Ephesians 18 and 19 to to pour forth in the worship that we're expressing? How how do we do step one? How do we fill our hearts with the spirit? Here he says, it's by digging the, the roots of your heart and your life deeper into the unsearchable love of Jesus. It's by developing a a deeper uh, appreciation of God's love for us. By coming to know and experience his love more fully and deeply through faith. And that's what fuels the passion of our worship. Our hearts aren't to be primarily moved in worship through the same forces that get people worked up and passionate at a rock concert. Our hearts are to be moved by the Lord and the depth of our relationship with him. By him dwelling within our hearts. That's where God says it's supposed to come from. Filled with his spirit, with a relationship with him. And overflowing and expressing itself in truly the making melody of our hearts. Is that where your worship is coming from? Um, I, I'm not 
huge on uh, corny alliterations, but if you want to remember the things that we talked about today, listen, live, and love. There you go. Take that home. You, you want to give acceptable worship to the Lord. Our worship needs to come from a heart that listens and obeys God's will. Seeking to offer a sweet smelling aroma to him, speaking his love language. It needs to come from a life that expresses love and devotion to him day in and day out. And it needs to come from an inward passion fueled by the fires of fellowship with God. Not by the senses of the flesh. What about you today? Are you offering the sacrifice of fools? Would God abhor what you've brought to the altar? Uh, like he says in Isaiah 1, is your worship what Jesus would call vain and empty? It doesn't have to be. I hope that, that we can commit to making worship less and less about us and more and more about him. I think the more that we do that, it, it's going to improve our worship in every aspect. It, it's going to improve the outward aspects of our worship, Right? But let's not get the cart before the horse. It has to start by cultivating a deep focus and relationship with the Lord. And our worship needs to overflow uh, from his spirit dwelling within us. I, I hope we can get into some more practical ways that we can work towards that in our future lessons. Thinking about what is it that we're putting into worship. Uh, but for now, if you're convicted that you need to make some change... Won't you do that? Won't you do that now? Um, if, if you need um, to, to come to the Lord asking for his forgiveness, uh, for not having your focus in the right place, um, don't leave these doors without, um, without, without allowing the seed of God's word to bear its fruit in you. Um, I, I think sometimes we think that the invitation is just for people who you know, have really messed up. And that they, they need to do something. The invitation is for all of us. Let, let's live what we've heard today. Let's allow God's word to do its work within us. If you do need to make some public change, you do need to reach out for the help of these brethren. God has designed this body, this flock, this family to help each other. That's why we're here. And so if we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, um, to come back to him, to make changes, we can support you in that in any way. That's what we want to do. If you've never committed your life to the Lord, you don't have his spirit dwelling within you. You can surrender your life to him today. You can express your faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Lord, the Son of God. You can bury, by God's grace, the old man of sin in the waters of baptism. By his power, by the power of the resurrection, you can be raised to walk in newness of life. Do you need to do that? If we can help you in your relationship with the Lord in any way, uh, we ask that you'll make that known by coming to the front as, as we stand and sing together.